0: Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. While you're here, please make sure to like and subscribe. If you're listening to this on podcast, please make sure to leave a review as this allows my content to get in front of more people. And thank you for that. My name is Judy Cho, and I'm board certified in holistic nutrition, and I have a private practice where we focus on getting to root cause healing, and we often start with the Carnivore Cures Meat-Only Elimination Diet. Today, I'm excited. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Megan Ramos. For those of you that have never heard of her or that may have never really fasted, she is the co-founder of The Fasting Method with Dr. Jason Fung. It used to be called, I believe, the IDM, but it's a great resource for all things fasting, especially the science. If you've ever read Obesity Code, then a lot of that science is really part of their practice, and Megan also writes a lot of research. They have helped over 30,000 people by using fasting and proper diets to improve their insulin levels, improve their kidney function, as well as just reduce their diabetic levels and get off medication. Megan Ramos is the Intensive Dietary Management Program Director. She co-founded the Fasting Method with Dr. Jason Fung. And her role in the IDM program is to facilitate the patient's education on the IDM dietary principles and counsel them on their fasting regimens. Megan works mostly remotely now, but she and Dr. Jason Fung have been blogging as well as serving patients All across the globe serving more than 30,000 patients. Megan has had her own struggles with PCOS and other illnesses and why she decided to start fasting and just this whirlwind of healing has brought her to help find the fasting method and then show these benefits to the rest of the world. She shares a lot of powerful patient stories as to people healing, getting off insulin, getting off metformin and other things. I know in the carnivore community, we always say that carnivore is a fast mimicking diet and that we don't really need a fast, that if we just eat two square meals a day, that we can have all our healing, that we can get off our insulin, we could get off metformin, that we can do so much healing. I hope that you can have an open ear to this discussion and understand that for some people, depending on their metabolic health, depending on their history, that fasting even on a carnivore diet may be beneficial and may move the needle even faster and even more powerfully than just eating meat only alone. Again, this is going to depend on the person. I came from an eating disorder background and so fasting is just something I have to be much more careful about. But that's not everyone. So I hope that this conversation shows you a lot more about the importance of autophagy, what turns on autophagy, what doesn't. OMAD conversations about one meal a day Conversations about a lot more about cycles and your hormone or female cycles with fasting, the amount of fasting that you need, windows, timing. There's so much information in this conversation, and I hope that it benefits you and gives you another lever to get to optimal healing. Let's get right into the interview. Hi, Megan. I'm super excited to have you on my channel. I've been a fan of your work and Dr. Jason Fung's work for a long time. I was a big proponent of fasting. And so I'm so excited to just talk with you and sit with you. I know there's a lot of people in the ketogenic space, especially women that get a little finicky when it comes to fasting. And I think why not bring an expert like yourself on to talk about it. So uh, for the people that may not know you, if you can share who you are for the people listening and watching.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, Judy. I appreciate uh, you having me on. So I co-founded a program called The Fasting Method with my colleague, Dr. Jason Fung, and we definitely fell into this totally sideways. Um, But uh, part of my journey is also inspired by my my personal health journey. Like I think so many people in this space end up getting to, uh, they have to become their own healthcare advocates, go outside of the box to heal themselves, and then... Are so happy you know to help others get that same result you really take back control of their health through things as simple as diet and nutrition so we founded a clinic actually based in Toronto at the time where we did intermittent fasting with our diabetic kidney disease patients. Uh, my colleague, Jason Fong, he's a nephrologist and I'm a, a clinical researcher in nephrology. And um, we were both kind of feeling really defeated at the time. A lot of his kidney patients were struggling with type 2 diabetes and that was causing their kidneys to fail. And he was a kidney doctor and he would have to say, hey, I can't. Sorry, you know, uh, and dialysis is this or transplant that and like these terrible things, right? Um, that nobody wants to hear. But as long as the diabetes was there and getting worse, uh, as it's taught to be a chronic progressive condition, um, there was nothing he could do. Uh, and then my biggest fear being in this space was to develop type 2 diabetes. And sure enough, um, just a few days shy of my 27th birthday, I was diagnosed uh, with an A1C of 6.4. So not crazy, but on that uh, note where my doctor said, hey, you got to lose some weight. You got three months or you know what the drill is. We're going to start you on that metformin. And you know what happens after that. And I thought I was doing everything right to avoid getting into this situation, but I just kept gaining weight and developing more metabolic diseases. I started to collect them. I felt like fatty liver, PCOS, and now type 2 diabetes. Um, So I was ground zero guinea pig. Then we had our clinic in Toronto where we really worked specifically with the type 2 diabetics um, to get them off insulin. Weight loss is always a secondary goal and a very successful goal, uh, an obtainable goal. um, But we really honed in especially on the insulin-dependent diabetics and it was mind-blowing. Like there were patients that I saw that had been on insulin longer than I had been alive at that point. And like two weeks, that's it. 12 years later, they're still off insulin. Like it's so crazy. Um, and then our clinic kind of became too, too nutty uh, with the popularity of Jason's blog, some of our uh, his books and then our book. So we now do everything online um, through health coaching and through
0: our fasting community. Wow, that's an incredible journey. Um, yeah, I just wanted to dive right into fasting because I'm sure most people again that are watching and listening do know who both of you are. There's a lot of people in the space that say, fine, if maybe you're eating the standard American diet that then maybe you need to do intermittent fasting or even extended fasting, something beyond 24 hours. Is there a difference? Do you recommend people that are even eating a low carb diet? Does it matter? I mean, should they still fast can they still find benefits in fasting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Kind of the the ultimate strategy for someone looking to heal from metabolic syndrome, men and women of all adult ages is really the is a combination of intermittent fasting with a low carbohydrate dietary approach. And that will vary depending on the individual what that approach looks like. But it is the successful marriage of both of those that usually leads to complete reversal uh, of those diabetes or that complete, you know, sustainable 120-pound weight loss um, journey that they're on. So it's it's absolutely critical, I think, to combine the two. So when we think about insulin resistance, so insulin resistance is the root cause of all these unwanted metabolic issues and diseases like type 2 diabetes and obesity, especially all of that excess weight around our belly, or or a lot of it, and estrogen can play a role too. Um... But uh, it, it's this disease, this toxic level of insulin that's built up in the body that has created this condition called insulin resistance. And um, what we see is that, you know, we develop this insulin resistance through two primary dietary habits. The first one is eating a diet that's high in processed and refined sugars and fats because they force the body to produce a lot of insulin. So if you have a disease or a condition of too much insulin, The last thing you want to do is add more fuel to the fire. We also develop insulin resistance through that chronic stimulus of insulin throughout the day, even if it's low grade, just the constant drop here, drop there, here, there throughout the day from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed, that also creates insulin resistance. So if we're really going to combat this condition at the root and eradicate it and really regain control of our health, we need to do both. Um, we need to really make sure that we're not adding fuel to the fire when we do eat. And then we need to make sure that we are not chronically producing insulin all day long from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed. And the, doing both of those things, that's how you really stop it dead in its tracks and you're able to reverse.
0: That. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. So I am part of the meat based community mm-hmm. and I'll hear some advocates say that this is a fasting mimicking diet and therefore you never need a fast and I see people come on. And so then they're grazing all throughout the day. And then they're wondering, well, how come I'm not losing weight on this diet? I'm not eating carbs, or limited carbs, because let's say they're eating dairy, but um, and, and I'm not really my insulin isn't really going down. And then they will even then try, okay, maybe I need to limit the snacking, and then they'll do the meals. But even that is not enough. Mm-hmm. So then what have you seen? I mean, is then the benefit that they should fast? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, you know, a lot has changed in the last 10 years, um, in part due to social media. It's easier to spread information. People are people like my, my younger cousins, for example, they are not skeptics at all. They're like, what our grandparents did didn't work. What our parents are doing are, isn't working. Why would I go down that same sort of nutritional path? And they're looking for alternative lifestyle choices, you know, uh, online. So I think just the ease of spreading information these days, uh, in the last 10 years, you know, 10 years ago, I talked to a patient. They would have never heard of a ketogenic diet or a carnivore diet. And now you talk to, a person, then they might not have done it or know someone that does it, but at least they've seen it at the the checkout in the supermarket, on the cover of the magazines, or they've seen it on something like Good Morning America. So these are not foreign. Concepts anymore. And because of that too, a lot more people are willing to try it. Especially the majority of people that we see nowadays, what they've done is through just changing their foods. Um, so really avoiding them, the insulin response through various uh, forms of keto diets. They've lost, you know, 60 of that 80 pounds or they've brought their hemoglobin A1C down from nine to six. Why can't they lose that last 20 or 30 pounds? Why can't right. they bring that hemoglobin A1C under 5.2? Like, why can't they bring it to 4.9 and have it be super optimal? And so often people will say in the community or in consultation, am I just broken? Like, is this just 30, 40 years of bad dietary habits preventing me from, you know, reaching optimal health? Should I just learn to live with this and be happy? Um, it sucks because I came so far and the answer is no, because exactly to your point, Judy, when we reflect on, you know, what their eating habits are like, great food choices for, for the most part, it's, you know, not really having to make too many nutritional recommendations always, but it's just that constant, constant stimulus, you know, throughout the day. So our cells are just totally constantly, you know, having insulin follow them around. Like imagine listeners out there, if you had someone shadowing you all of the time, or when someone plays a shadow game with you when you're speaking, when you're a kid or your kids might do it, how aggravating that is. Or, you know, the whole concept of absence makes the heart grow fonder, you know, create a stronger, you know, uh, insulin sensitivity in your body by creating some space and for yourselves from your own insulin. And so in these individuals, you know, maybe they've done cardio work, keto, um, for, uh, tw- 12 months. And then, you know, we get them into a therapeutic fasting protocol. And in three months, that last 20 pounds is gone. That, um, A1C is, you know, pushing close to, or if not below 5.2, uh, and everybody can celebrate and rejoice. So it's really the combination of both. Um, you know, we've, so we see a lot of people that can't graze the way to optimal health, even on optimal foods. Uh, and then we see a lot of people that, you know, that can't, fast their way to optimal health, um, without having optimal, optimal foods. So I think the marriage of them both is really important.
0: Hey guys, just to let you know, my carnivore cure book is back in stock for nine months. It was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today. That has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. Yeah, I, I and that makes a lot of sense. And then what about autophagy? There's some people in the carnivore space that say, well, autophagy is kind of always running in the background. And again, if without many carbs, you don't really need to do like this extended fast to turn autophagy on. What are your thoughts with that? You know, what are the benefits with autophagy? Yeah, so
1: autophagy, the deep cellular recycling that so many people are interested in for disease prevention, uh, and a lot of people on their weight loss journey is just to help be reduce loose skin, uh, get rid of that connected tissue that was there to help support the fat that's no longer there. Um, so people want that loose skin gone once they lose the weight and they'll seek out autophagy to do so. Um, there's different ways of getting, experiencing various levels of autophagy in the body. So extreme, you know, Physical activity is one of them. Um, a, car- a ketogenic carnivore diet, you're going to get varying degrees, definitely more so, I think, on the carnivore end of things. Um, but fasting is kind of a real turbocharged, um, accelerated way to experience quite a, a, a lot of autophagy. Um, I always kind of joke with people that you can get the best bang for your buck um, when it comes to autophagy through fasting being a mechanism. Not that you shouldn't be. you've got to pay attention to your nutrition and you've got to of course physical activity so important um so those things are 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 critical too but you get a lot of bang for you back you get some serious deep autophagy happening so what we've sometimes seen is that people on different variations of keto they'll lose quite a bit of weight but they haven't lost that loose skin or at least not to the hope that the degree that they hoped. whereas in um Sort of our community where we take a pretty intensive approach to fasting. Um, like the minimum therapeutic fast we do is about 24 hours. Um, most of our, our base fasting protocols are somewhere between 36 and 48 hours of fasting. Um, so we're, we're pretty aggressive group, but I mean, Jason and I, this is, like a decade ago now, we had one patient, he was like five foot three, five foot four, he was about a smidge taller than me. And he had lost 165 pounds. He had been in a car accident. So there's no physical activity, late 60s, early 70s. And he said, you know, Dr. Fong, Megan, why don't I have any loose skin? Um, so he really had an amazing low-carb diet. Um, it wasn't, I would say he's probably in ketosis a lot of the time, but he wasn't driven specifically to track those macros and keep them low, nor did he follow a carnivore approach. He cut out all the processed and refined foods and really prioritized healthy fats and enjoyed um, enjoyed a, a protein. And uh, we got in his, you know, 336-hour fasts a week. So we find a lot, like, we can... In, in our clinic, and our online program, we can't measure autophagy, but we've seen some really cool things in short periods of time. It's, you know, we've seen people lose 165 pounds that are five feet tall and aren't able to be athletic. And they are able to lose all of that excess uh, connective tissue, all of that excess skin once they do lose the weight, which is pretty remarkable. Um, scars, C-section scars. I can't tell you the number of women like in their seventies so, We'll say, I'm sorry, I have to show down, pull down my pants and show you this this. Um, because C-section scars are going away. Like we are not measuring it, but we are observing autophagy happen in real life. And uh, we see these results more in our, our community is very open and welcome um, to everybody. So even people that want to come in and focus solely on TRE, you're welcome. When we work in coaching, you know, we really drive more of the therapeutic stuff. So we see enough to know that these longer fasting protocols really do turbocharge the the autophagy uh, and the results people are hoping to achieve with it.
0: Do you think there's a longer um, window of fasting that's required for somebody that's maybe on a sad diet that would have to deplete their glycogen levels versus somebody that's on a ketogenic or carnivore Yeah.
1: When we diet? first started, um, it was really not uncommon for Jason to want to fast a lot of our patients for seven days. And some of them were coming off of diets like you you cannot even fathom that an adult would eat um eat like this uh, it, it was just a whole coffee cake for breakfast, two bags of potato chips before lunch, um, It uh, Burger King, like it, just every day. And then we'd have some patients who were really trying to be their own healthcare advocate and had learned about lower carb approaches and were already doing that. And our, our go-to at the time was if they could, if Jason det- determined medically that they could, uh, then they probably should do a seven-day fast. And we noticed very different trends uh, in these two patient population groups. So those who did follow some sort of low carb or keto approach, they usually felt a bit of that quote unquote keto flu fatigue a little bit earlier on in the fast, but very, very mild, definitely not like a full blown keto flu, but their energy's been could have been better sort of on that second day. Um, But usually by the end of the second day, I mean, they're in quite deep ketosis, they have more metabolic Flexibility and they're okay. So they might have a couple of foggy hours in the middle of that second day and then they're able to carry on their fast. The people that are sort of on the sad diet that would just jump, say, straight into a seven day fast, this can be a little bit rocky. They tend to have an easier start at the beginning and I think it's because they have a lot more glycogen storage, but then they hit a wall and then everything starts to keel over. And really, what's happening at that point is it's like in our vehicles when our fuel light's coming on uh, and it's flashing in in our face, you know, get to a gas station, you you've got like 10 miles. I'm from Canada and I'm just living in the U.S. now. I still don't know what a mile is. (laughs) But uh, the fuel light's flashing, everything's becoming distracting, your car is being symptomatic of low gas. And that's what's happening. It's your body saying, hey, you know, we're running out of this glycogen. Fat burning's tough. We want to be lazy. So we're going to make you feel really kind of sluggish and blah, and, and hopefully you'll eat. And then your body realizes, okay, you know, Megan's not going to eat. This person's not going to eat. So we need to start. Eating from our own fat stores. Um, so I always share with people like the, then I, I started off early in my journey doing a longer fast and I wasn't sure if I'd wake up on the morning of day four, but I did. And then I felt so great. I ended up doing 11 days because it just became so easy after that. So it's definitely a much more sticky around uh, that third day for a lot of individuals. And another part of that too is individuals on a sad diet, their level insulin levels are always running a lot higher than an individual on a low carb diet. So insulin causes the body to retain water and electrolytes through that water. As you start to fast, your insulin levels come down and it signals to your kidneys to get rid of that water. And if it's coming down quite a bit, which it It definitely can um, if you're going from one extreme to another, like a sad diet to an extended fast, you're going to end up losing a lot of water and a lot of electrolytes through that process. So there's a lot of issues with dehydration and whatnot. So sometimes um, if an individual is... You know, we know that they're coming off of a sad diet. We need them to fast intensely. Maybe they're at risk of having a foot amputated or something from from diabetic ulcer. Then we will put them. We'll do something like fat fasting with them, uh, just as a crash course for anywhere from just a couple of days up to an entire week for the individual, just to help lower their insulin levels, make sure that they've got an adequate electrolyte. So with a fat fast, we pick three or four fatty foods. Or fatty meals, (laughs) depending on the individual's diet. If you're carnivore, it's like ridiculously easy, like eggs, um, you know, like some fatty fatty beef. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And just eating those foods over and over again in repetition. And that just helps rebalance everything and can make it a lot easier for someone to jump into a longer fast.
0: Do you think that people that are, have been consistently on a low carb diet, then maybe they can fast a little less, um, in terms of the extended fast than say somebody that's constantly eating or going back to a more, you know, there's, um,
1: It's always kind of wild. We would have patience and I would have bat my, like, right arm. It would take, you know. Three months to get them off of insulin and diabetic meds. And three days later, they're off of insulin and diabetic meds. And wow. some individuals, um, for, for no, like, we're talking awful A1Cs, high levels of insulin, long time. And it, it can be all over the place versus someone who is not that, you know, not in as rough shape metabolically, but then it, it it is a little bit more complicated, uh, and it does take a bit longer. So it's it's usually difficult to judge. In general, with women, it can be a little bit more difficult, especially with issues like estrogen dominance. Um, as we get older, and our you know we don't make as much progesterone, and we've accumulated more body fat, and that body fat is producing estrogen, and that's a different kind of beast in itself that makes it a little bit more difficult. So a little bit more extensive fasting often goes a little bit longer with women. But in general, a big theme um, that we've had, you know, throughout this past summer, is that, you know, you can't, Sustainably fast, that therapeutically all summer. It's just, this doesn't work for me. Um, And I want to enjoy the foods of the season too. As well, now that I'm in California, they are here more year round, but in places like Toronto, they're definitely not. So enjoy the local um, good quality food from your local farmers um, while you can. So in this time of year, we really work with people in sort of more proper etiquette, you know, really optimizing their diet, optimizing their eating hours. You know, it's okay if you want to, if you add a little bit of cream to your tea or coffee, sure. But don't reheat it several times throughout the day and drink it all day long. Like it's, it's kind of amazing. Like I've had some people that say they'll reheat the same cup of coffee four times. Um, till they finish it, um, which is wild. And then be mindful about how much of those things that you are consuming while you're in a fasted state. I really encourage people, if you are adding a type of fat to a coffee or to a tea, measure it out. Like you would be shocked. Like I've had people swear they couldn't be adding more than a tablespoon. And lo and behold, they're having close to like a third third of a cup. So be mindful of those quote unquote fasting aids or fasting training wheels. When you're doing the shorter fast, be really mindful about your food uh, and what it is that you're consuming. Um, And just really cut out snacking altogether, like just get rid of the snacking. And those have huge impacts across the board, even for more so for people who are low carb, but even like not snacking is really important for individuals who are following the standard North American diet, but are looking for the first step in how to start to get things moving in the right direction.
0: Yeah, those are all really helpful. And I agree. I th- I see the needle move um, pretty decently when people start cutting snacking and it doesn't matter if it's meat-based or it, it doesn't matter if it's lower carb. The other thing I see a lot is there's a lot of people that do one meal a day and they learn to eat a lot in one sitting. And then just from my basic research, I see that it can turn on mTOR. And I don't know if you ever turn on the real deep benefits of autophagy when you're eating so much protein on one meal. And so what are your thoughts about OMAD? Do you think it's really beneficial in terms of getting that insulin down, weight loss? Um, thoughts yeah. About OMAD so and I was a
1: huge the- proponent of it. Even not that long ago. And I've kind of changed my position on it. And this is just Mm -hmm. from more experience. So of course, there's definitely some health benefits that you are going to get from limiting the number of times a day that you eat. But what we so often see, um, especially with women, uh, is that they tend to not get in enough in that one meal and they end up sort of just getting in this, you know, seven or eight hundred calorie a day diet. And that does not serve them well. In the long run, and then it often leads to weight gain and then just generally feeling awful and then other health issues. So I've rarely been able to see that like there's a couple of pro athletes that I've worked with, young men, super active and in off seasons, they'll do OMAD. Um, but I mean, they, they can eat the drywall in the house and it doesn't seem to have too much of a negative effect on them, especially with all of the crazy activity and whatnot that they are doing. Um, but I've never seen people really be able to sustain eating enough. At all at once. Um, and then most people, uh, they try to force it because a lot of the times they'll, they'll recognize it. Then they'll try to course correct, force it so they can still maintain this one meal a day approach. Um, but then they're forcing themselves to eat when they're not hungry. Um, and then they are taking in kind of a, a very high load at once. Right. And that doesn't always seem to be in their, their best interest. Some people respond to it better than others. Um, but it's It just... You know, for me, I think if people are looking for a maintenance strategy, it's it's cool to do a couple times a week. I know, I know in my life that um, I, when you when you're running a business, when you're responsible for other people, when life happens, when the dishwasher floods the house, you know, when the husband you know pokes his eye at work and has to go to urgent care, um, all these things, you end up having some OMAD oh, days, and that's great. And I just kind of let life guide those. But I find most people do thrive better um, trying to get into smaller meals than try to force that one larger
0: meal a day. You know, you just talk so much about women. There's a lot of thoughts of, I, I tend to see in the low carb communities that women start to under eat because they feel less hangry because they're not going through the carb insulin roller coasters. But then there's this whole thought of if you overly fast on top of these low-carb meals, now you're going to tax your adrenals, you're going to output a lot more cortisol, and therefore women need to not fast because all your hair loss, all your thyroid imbalances is due to low-carb plus fasting.
1: I think when you get to that position. Um, that's, that's more of a concern for somebody who is in maintenance with a lot more lower body fat percentage. Like I will tell you, uh, as a 30, I'll be 38, um, probably by the time this airs, (laughs) it's very soon. Um, and at my age and my body composition and my level of Activity. I mean, I weight train three times a week. I do Pilates twice a week. Uh, we walk two hours with our greyhounds every day. We're hiking in California on the weekends. We bike often. That uh, you know, I'm not going to go back to a three times a week, 42 hour. Kind of schedule. It wouldn't serve me very well and it would be very taxing on my body where I'm sitting right now. But an individual who does have that excess weight, who does have those insulin concerns, we don't, there's too much inflammation in the body. Um, and a lot of cellular inflammation that's causing, you know, subclinical hypothyroidism anyways and, uh, causing HPA axis dysfunction. So all of the, the inflammation that's Theirs is being problematic so do the therapeutic fasting get rid of all of that informa- inflammation, do the healing and then you can definitely scale things back on the fast so I do some extended fast periodically I'll say during COVID I've done a lot less but prior to COVID I've traveled like a mad woman for work here and there and all over the place different countries different continents sometimes you know uh, one day I was in three different countries it was just really really wild. So you eat out and my diet has evolved, I have very different behaviors when it comes to foods, but I can't compensate, like they're going to put vegetable oil on the grill before they put the meat down there's all these inflammatory right. things. And then also just the jet-setting lifestyle throw off my circadian rhythm, it affects my hormones. So I would do these periodic longer fasts uh, just to reset. Um, like I would do spring cleaning or winter cleaning in my house. I would do the same thing in my body when we, I had a more low-key week. But I wouldn't recommend that someone who's reached a, a really optimal body composition and who is very active without any uh, issues do really intensive fasting um, because we do not we don't want to tax our system so it's all about finding a balance and then prioritizing your goals at that particular time my goals today are the you know polar opposite you know than they were when i started with the exception of just to be healthy um, so you've got to accommodate your approach for these different stages
0: so what if you were in your 50s and 60s you've sort of ate the standard american diet had been on chronic diets now you're eating low carb, maybe you're hypothyroid. And so you then try to implement some fasting. For a woman that's at that 50, 60-year-old age, have some weight to lose. Maybe their A1C is not the best, but they are managing it with low carb, but it's not moving the needle enough. Maybe they've underate their whole lives. For those people would it be recommended to do fasting?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that is the bulk that's about um, 80% of of the demographic that we work with. And uh, there's, I mean, we do, again, more therapeutic strategies. Any fast is a win. Fasting overnight is a win. And that's something that we celebrate. But we would typically recommend that they strive 80% of the time to do some of the longer alternate daily approaches to fasting. There's two common ones. Uh, one is um, doing, you know, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday fast. And with Friday, you know, if you if you skip dinner, that's great. Um, but if you have social plans, then just do a 24. So we'll sometimes do, you know, 342s or 242s and 24. But what works well for individuals in households that can be busy? And um, sometimes the individual ends up being the cook at home. And so um, often when we work with the woman who's in, say, their 50s or 60s, a lot of the times, you know, they're responsible for making sure that the family that is home is getting fed. And that can be really frustrating if you're trying to fast you know, through three nights a week. So we found that doing two 48-hour fasts uh, a week uh, works better for a lot of these individuals. So you would fast, say, from Sunday night to Tuesday night, and then Wednesday night to Friday night, but you're only missing dinner on Monday and on Thursday with your family, or you're only trying to do meal prep. For two nights instead of three nights, or suffering through cooking while fasting two nights instead of three nights, um, and it's a little bit easier on the family, you know, if, especially if you're someone who is not going to be sitting there while your family is having a meal. Um, it's better to only miss two than to miss three, and people will say, "Well, you know, Megan, from the math." Mathematical standpoint, when you do the arithmetic, um, it ends up being less fasting overall, two forty eights. But you actually get an extra six hours in a deeper state of ketosis and a deeper state of fat burning with a lot of autophagy going on when in each of those forty-two hour fasts. So you get these twelve like super gold hours of fasting doing the two forty eights, and it's a pretty miraculous protocol. And then you can be, you can be flexible with it too. I know it's the summer. So a lot of people are starting off their week with a little bit more fasting, but then the end of the week ends up being long, long weekends. And then you can just do shorter fasts Um, and it'll kind of balances it out.
0: One of the troubles I see with the older women, and it doesn't even have to be older women, but it's women in general that end up doing these more therapeutic fasts, Once they start eating, they're not as hungry. If they're doing OMAD, it's even worse because they can't even get in as many calories. But what have you seen with the risks of when they're supposed to refeed, they're not eating enough, and then they're going into these longer fasts? like, what are the implications of that? And then is that the reason why some people have adverse effects with fasting? It's not really the fast, but the lack of refeeding.
1: We have had this issue. So 2016, myself and my colleague, Dr. Nadia Pataguana, we coined it the year of fasting burnout. I think that was the year where it, you know, fasting was the topic. And like, shows like GMA and uh, people were so much more willing to try it and our human nature. um, If a little bit of something is good for us, then a lot of it must be better for us, right? So if a day of fasting is good for us, then like 365 days of fasting would be optimal. So Nadia and I had these patients that were persistent on doing five-day fasts over and over and over again, week in and week out. And over the weekend time, I mean, many of us are creatures of habit in our diet. If you eat something, say like a carnivore diet, and you get some like variety in there a little bit, it's a very nutrient-dense diet, but not everybody's doing that. So people are eating these foods that aren't necessarily very nutrient-dense and what happens uh, eventually, like there's a social burnout, there's an emotional burnout from doing that. But then we would see all these nutrient deficiencies, like micronutrient deficiencies that started causing problems, like more thyroid issues, for example. And it's just, you just can't do that. Like you absolutely cannot do that. I had this one vegan patient and like her skin was great. Like it was one of the most eerie, eerie things. I'm like, she has like, th- she was like a garbage vegan. Um, First of all, I want to make sure that that is clarified. So you can't eat, you know, cookies, um, vegan cookies all of the time and get the nutrients that you need. And that was kind of her approach. So like when we did uh like micronutrient panel on her, everything was red and she was trying to force doing longer fast and she just kept gaining weight. Like she would do a longer fast and gain weight because the cortisol response must have just been obscene. (laughs) It's just like, you need to stop. We need to refeed you for like, two months three months you know like we got to get in like a good six to 12 weeks at least of eating eating three meals a day not snacking getting in some good 14 hours of fasting she is very concerned about recurrent breast cancer well there's a ton of data 14 hours it's very good for preventing most uh, most metabolic breast cancer so let's focus on that let's focus on these good foods that will you know real foods that will help um with your hormones and lowering your insulin and helping with your estrogen so we don't get into that breast cancer boat again and she was like a new person and in about eight weeks she then started to lose weight just even eating that much, but actually bringing her nutrient levels back up. So, you know, when we got into this year of fasting burnout, it was like everybody did the opposite of that. Like they started off, you know, from this relatively healthy position uh, and then they got into this not so great position. So Nadia, she has this sort of 60-40 rule, like really encourages people to eat a good 40% of the Meals a week, so a good eating day for us would be two days, two meals on an eating day. So really trying to make sure that you are getting in a handful, like a good eight meals, um, uh, you know, eight to ten meals throughout the out the week most of the time, and you're not spending it all in a fast. I had one woman in a group that I was doing in the community yesterday. And um, she's an interesting type one case. I'm not actually quite sure if she's a type one. She's been diagnosed and that her endocrinologist is not quite sure if she's a type one. Exactly. So, uh, with their monitoring her medically and we're doing the nutrition and the Mm -hmm. fasting aspect. And she, she said, you know, my, my doctor says I have to, like, I have to eat two meals on my eating days that I can't fast for 48 hours. That's where the doctor drew the line and okay, we need to respect that. So, you know, what can we, what can we have you know, that's, that's light, that's easy, you know, to have. but maybe it's something like having, you know, six chicken wings, you know, something lighter than, you know, say having like a big steak, for example, having a small piece of fish, you know, for people who do eat more plants, like maybe having an avocado drizzled in olive oil, you know, you're going to get tons of good fatty calories from that. And, you know, you're, it's going to be sort of equivalent to the meal. So sometimes it's weird because we want to teach people to not eat unless they're hungry. But then there is a time and a place to try or try to prioritize eating. So we always encourage people to to have two back-to-back eating days if they can throughout the week because okay. that can sometimes spike hunger. The more you eat, the more you want to eat even when you're eating really good foods. So a lot of the times people will not want to have those two days back-to-back, but we find if people really try to avoid fasting on the weekend and do get in those two back-to-back eating days or Maybe their weekends are on the weekdays, um, depending on their work schedule. That's enough to sort of keep their appetite stimulated a little bit more high or a little bit more elevated throughout the week. So they don't feel like they're, they're in this position where they're forcing themselves to eat.
0: What about muscle loss? So that's another thing. There's some, you know, sports advocates that'll recommend if you fast for too long, it catabolizes your muscles. And then even if you were to eat again, it takes much longer to get back what you lost so it's actually so therefore some people are bigger fans of those protein sparing where they just eat super lean meats and then they don't really fast have you seen that at all what are you Yeah your thoughts so about uh,
1: that? there's i mean tons of controversy out there and unfortunately there's not like hundreds of citations to to fall back on the research there on fasting and especially In this day and age, with these different population types, just isn't all there. But you know, from our clinical experience, we've now worked with over thirty thousand people from all over the world, from (laughs) one one really feisty one hundred and two year old patient in the clinic to Olympic athletes and world heavyweight champions um and baseball players and nba players and everything in in between and only clinically have we seen that fasting is really quite exceptional for maintaining lean mass especially in those very leaner groups so uh one one individual who's publicly talked about fasting um with jason and i is george saint pierre so he is the world middleweight heavyweight champion um so you can imagine like you know yeah at most, he's like a percent body fat. Like <laughs> he is, um, And he's a training <laughs> machine. But when he talks about his fasting, he wants to fast or he wanted to fast because he had colitis and it was really awful. And uh, he believed that he developed colitis through being sort of force fed protein nonstop for years uh, and it damaging his gut. And this guy would do 36 hours regular. Like we told him that's, you know, we need a lot of autophagy happening. He had a short week window of time where he really wanted to make a lot of progress and could perhaps scale things back a little bit. And, uh, I mean, then I'd see him on Instagram doing a five-day water fast in Thailand um, and he is a machine and like he'll share like his test results his body composition results nothing changed in fact he became stronger so all of the stuff about you know it just taking too long to rebuild any lean mass that might have been long it just doesn't make sense I mean when you are fasting you produce these really crazy levels of human growth hormones at certain points throughout the fast especially upwards to the three-day fast. You have the insulin that's being produced from the meal that you ate. You have the amino acids from the foods that you're occurring. You have the perfect cocktail to help your body just sort of slather on and build lean mass in that moment. And it's just kind of wild. Like we had... Um, one of our former coaches in six weeks, she gained four pounds of lean mass. It was just wild. Like we were looking at her body comp uh, and she would do weight training three to four times a week. She did her, she did a Monday, Wednesday, Friday protocol. Uh, and then she ate two meals a day or non-fasting days. And like, for And she was in her early 60s like at the time, which is just wild. So I don't think there's a need for protein-sparing modified fasting or however you say it. Um, and uh, we, we do see a lot of people who have tried that approach uh, and then end up coming and, and looking to do some okay. more therapeutic fast.
0: Yeah, I've seen people even in my practice try the protein-sparing modified fast. And I've had several clients tell me I'd rather fast and just not eat food at all and not have to struggle with the well, the protein, the lean protein has not satisfied me enough. And now I want to go back in the pantry. And I'm muscling through not wanting to eat anything more. So they I've had several people say it's easier to fast than to actually eat just super lean protein. So I'm right there with you. What about Women with their cycle and fasting, have you seen benefits of maybe like right before your period you fast less than versus like when you're closer to during your period? I mean, I'm sure there's little bits of truth in that, but have you seen that really move the needle much in when you yeah, should optimize fasting?
1: So we Say 30 year old woman shows up, history of PCOS, never lost, you know, her freshman 15, gained uh, a graduate 15 on top of that um, when she entered the workforce. Um, feeling a little bit frustrated, thinking about, okay, PCOS is a thing. And now I'm thinking about family planning. What do I? what do I do? How do I tackle this? And they tend to have highs and lows at this particular day one stage. And it definitely does come with their cycle. And then unfortunately, the ebbs and flows with fasting don't necessarily go with the positive ebbs and flows of hormones. So in the uh, follicular phase, which is the first phase of our cycle, the first half of our cycle leading up to ovulation, estrogen is a dominant hormone and estrogen in a nice range makes us feel happy, sexy, like loving life. Uh, recently, I just went through I uh, I round up IVF. Um, I have great hormones, but my my egg count's a little bit low, and um, so we're doing doing some stuff. And I was like on top of the moon. You could have told me a spaceship crashed in my house, and I probably been like okay. Uh, and then I saw my estradiol level was like twenty six hundred, and <laughs> I'm like, well that's why I'm essentially walking around drugged here. But so they they feel really great. But estrogen's also an appetite suppressing hormone, so it's a lot easier to. find. For some of these women. And then ovulation happens. And ovulation is like your body wants you to get pregnant, your body, it's your evolutionary. You know, drive and the appetite starts to spike up. And then what happens is progesterone becomes the dominant hormone and progesterone makes us hungry. Evolutionary, because it wanted us to grow a baby uh, and be successful, but it makes us hungry. And it also makes us not necessarily feel the happiest. And then if women are struggling from PCOS, they might not produce as much progesterone as they should. And they might have too much uh, imbalance going on with their estrogen. And it ends up, they feel the kind of and depressed from that in the second part of their cycle. So when women end up feeling emotionally not so good (laughs) and then not being able to fast. And so we always warn them, you know, you're, you're going to don't feel defeated at the second half. You know, fasting is kind of falsely inflated as easy at the beginning and it's more difficult in the second half. So what we tell women is, especially if their cycles are irregular, for about four to six months, we might have to go with some ebbs and flows here. So we'll try to do longer fasting, you know, starting usually like about day two of the cycle is when women report that it does become pretty easy The hormone shifts have happened quite dramatically at that point mm-hmm. so we'll leading up to ovulation we will get in some intensive fast then the week after ovulation some lighter intermittent fast like maybe more 24s more focus on omad and then we see how the last week of the cycle is and sometimes it is you know if they're especially if they're not trying to conceive maybe it's just a hardcore fat fasting week or a very hard for carnivore ketogenic week and we really work on good dietary habits and try not to snack um but then usually once they start to have a regular cycle or within about four to six months they don't notice those ebbs and flows that much anymore and that's exactly what i experienced too and i i started i was 27 um when i started my journey and then most of my patients were 67 and then with the popularity of the obesity code um jason fong's first book we got a whole diverse group of individuals coming to us online. And it took me a while because for me, fasting just became pretty effortless if i had a poor night's sleep it'd be more difficult just like a workout at the gym would be more difficult but once my hormones kind of leveled out and my pcos was reversed i didn't notice those ebbs and flows like that i wasn't ravenously hungry leading up to my period i you know didn't have as our cravings so then I, i had to go back to those roots with these new women that were starting to come in and it was the same thing so we learned okay you know let's let's try this pattern where we adjust the past, like we, we pivot the fast with the different stages of the cycle. Once we get the regular cycle and once we stop noticing those ebbs and flows, then we can take a more consistent approach to your protocol. But yeah, usually it gets to the point, you know, say if you're if you're someone listening, you're 31, you want to lose 100 pounds, you know, it's, we're going to have to do fasting uh, for more than four months. But usually come that four-month period, you can get on a more consistent protocol um, and have more flexibility too.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I've heard that so much that fasting is kind of like a muscle that you have to train yourself to get there. So it's not, maybe you can't start with a seven day fast. I mean, especially if you've never done it before, and maybe if you eat the standard American diet, and especially if you're doing it alone. So that all makes sense. Uh, What about refeeding? So I know you mentioned the two meals, but uh, I know that for some people, they just do better with like a really small snack first, and then they kind of waken up their digestive system. What have you seen to be maybe some of the best foods to kind of start with? And then should they start with a really small snack and then do two meals? Or what are your thoughts with that?
1: Yeah, usually when someone does a longer fast, um, we, we don't want to open that up with a full eating day. So we'll usually encourage people if you're gonna be eating at home, just have that one meal and call it call it a day and then, you know, wait the next day and then resume having two meals. Um, recently I had a friend, um, he's uh mid thirties male who has a lot of issues ending extended fasts. No issues with Anything after 48 hours, but he does these quarterly five-day fasts and every time. And we've tried to troubleshoot this way or that way. And a big thing was he's like, Megan, I need to accept that I'm trying to eat, just eat too much. So recently we we had gotten in a really good routine. He would just have that one meal. We targeted the right foods and he was fine. And then he said, I have to eat that meal out. And he didn't want his first meal to be consumed out. So we had a smaller stack type of meal, like a mini meal, we we would call it in our community, just to help get the digestive juices going. And then he had maybe more of a lighter meal eating out than he would typically have um, at that time. Now foods that are problematic uh, and this is people are gonna say, but hey, that's not what the complete guide to fasting. So the complete guide to fasting was written hundred years ago. Um, we we definitely evolved. So eggs, I have hands down seen eggs to be like the worst thing that people can break their fast with. Now, I'm not saying if if you're listening and you break your fast with six eggs and you're fine, good for you, don't change that. But if you are having issues, cut the eggs. And so often, um, people go to eggs because they're nutrition bombs. Um, If they're good quality, I mean, quality with everything matters, but if you got, they've got a good quality free range duck egg, you know, they're like, yeah. And it's just so quick and easy. And when you end a longer fast, you want something quick and easy. So eggs are always, they're usually a suspect number one. Nuts um, for people who do eat plants. Those are terrible on your digestive system. Some people like we, we do have individuals who are more plant-based keto in our community and they'll try soaking them, sprouting them. It doesn't matter like on an empty stomach after five, like a three day fast or a five day fast. It's just a big punch in the gut. They're very difficult to digest. So we tend to stick to foods that are a little bit more easy to digest. Um, so people who do eat animals, you know, we, will encourage, like, you know, if you eat fish, this might be a good time to have fish. If you eat poultry, you know, this might be a good time to have some good quality poultry. Uh, if you eat beef, maybe it's a good time to, or, or meat, maybe stick to a little bit leaner. Um, so it's less, um, difficult on a digestive tract that's been essentially, asleep or napping for the last few days some individuals with carnivore find that they have to grind their meat at least once or twice and that makes a huge difference on uh, just helping assisting the body with some digestion so things don't move through them too quickly so that seems to be okay for people that do plants raw anything is a bad idea for a plant on an empty stomach that or in a, a stomach empty of digestive juices raw vegetables are a little bit more challenging to digest on a regular basis. So don't get them to your tummy after it's been sleeping for a few days. Um, not a good idea. So those are some of the strategies. Every now and then, bone broth, if it's really greasy, can be problematic for ending a fast. Okay. If it's not, it often can be a very beneficial way of ending a fast. So it would be if it's greasy, then I wouldn't end it. But if you did have some broth locally uh, made, that's really good quality. In those grandma's kitchen, and I would have that. But my stuff ends up always being super greasy, which is not bad, but okay. not for an end of a fast type of meal.
0: And then what about weight loss? Um, I remember a long time ago, I read Dr. Fung's article about weight loss that women need more of the 36 hour to meet the men's 18 to start weight loss. I don't know if that's still what you follow. But uh, is there sweet spots that minimally, if you really want to start losing weight on uh, with fasting? That, we, that target hours, I guess, of fasting that women and men should be doing?
1: Yeah, 36 to 42 or 36 to 48, okay. depending if you want to do two or three of them a week, that is, it, it, you're going to lose the weight.
0: Okay. Any other tips about fasting that maybe we didn't cover that, you know, I, I think we've touched like the hormones and just making sure to adequately eat for refeeds and that for some people, we just need to stop grazing. And there are so many benefits of autophagy. Oh, I guess a quick question is there's, Some people, including myself, um, I like to just kind of clean up shop and maybe do, I don't do a ton of extended fasting because of my previous eating disorder history, but I'd like to do like a five day fast once every year, every two years. Do you think there's benefit in doing that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you do something like a three to five day fast, you're getting a lot of autophagy happening. You're really um, seeing a huge dramatic uh, reduction in inflammation. I've seen people's CRP levels go from 25 to under one, you know, in one five day water fast. Like it's just amazing what's happening. Jason Fung, uh, he does one five to seven day fast a year for himself, just for disease prevention and to tidy up some of things likes to travel and he does enjoy eating out with family and his son lives in New York. So he's definitely enjoying visiting there and in, in the local cuisine. So, uh, and same thing for me, I, I, we've got Parkinson's, dementia, Alzheimer's, um, breast and ovarian cancer. So these longer fasts, you know, they can be very healing.
0: Is there anyone that you think shouldn't fast? I mean, I, I'm hearing maybe if you're very lean, but uh, and even those people, maybe they can carefully do it, but are there people or populations that shouldn't fast at
1: Yeah, all? so we, we just got this question the other day. A woman was breastfeeding, and she was just okay. so eager to lose the weight, and you can't because it will affect your hormones. It will affect your breast milk. It will affect your baby. We, we fast to prevent growth essentially in the body, and growth in adulthood is almost never welcome. But there are a couple of times, um, when you are pregnant and when you are nursing, fasting can always be there. Uh, and I'm someone who's trying to get pregnant and it does not mean that all of my eating principles go out the window. I don't need to snack. Um, my grandmother had four kids not snacking. It wasn't part of her culture (laughs) back then. So she jokes that, you know, they, their family didn't start to gain weight till they started having snack foods in the house when everybody got older. And so, you know, it, you don't need to eat every hour of the day when you're, when you're pregnant. Um, but there is a time and a place of growth. So around pregnancy, um, is one of those times. And then, yeah, you want to make sure that you have come to peace with eating issues that you've had in the past and that your nutrient status is pretty good going into the fast. So like the, that one, um, Sugar fed vegan patient that I had. Like her nutrient status was not very good. She had plenty of body fat, but she was extremely malnourished despite okay. that body fat.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, just an interesting fact. Um, I, st- I did a two, seven day fast about two and a half years into nursing my son. And it was because I was ready to let go of nursing. And I figured that my breast milk would go away. But I think the two and a half years of constantly nursing every day, there was an established amount. And so during those, and it was two separate times in the year, but my milk never ended. And I ended up nursing for five years, but it's fast, but, but I didn't fast until two and a half years in, but it's just, it's interesting a, yeah,
1: thought. that's very cool. And it's, um, <laughs> I'm someone who would love to do it when my time comes for as long as I can. So does that mean that I'm with pods passing altogether <laughs> that first year? I, you know, uh, I'm not going to fast for the therapeutic range, but either. like, like you two and a half years in the game when your kids are also getting nutrients from other food sources and their dependency on you is, it, it's changed too. Uh, and your body has so established a new routine for itself. Your, your physiology has definitely acclimated. Then that's a very different ballgame. Right.
0: Yes, I totally agree. Totally agree. You know, thank you so much for your time. I I think there was a lot of clarifications as to the benefits of fasting and then the fears that people sometimes have with fasting. There's this mantra in my meat-based community that fasting is not necessary. And I just don't see that to always hold true. So thank you for joining me. Uh, where can people find you? um, your, your fasting method and, um, any maybe social media. Yeah. So um, you can outlets. just head
1: over to the fasting method.com, uh, all our social links, um, for myself, Jason and our fasting method are, are all
0: over there so you can check it out. Well, thank you so much for joining me again today and happy oh, early you, birthday. <laughs> okay, guys, I hope that this conversation was helpful and I hope it clarified some of the thoughts around fasting with a low carb or carnivore diet. I hope that this information provides you just another lever to healing. Some of us may need to do more than just intermittent fasting. Some of us may need to do some 36 hour or 42 hour, 48 hour fast. It really depends on your situation your metabolic history, as well as maybe even some disease prevention. If there is disease that continually happens through the generations, maybe fasting just once a year with a five-day fast may be beneficial for you. It's one of the only times that I really do extended fasting. But again, you have to find what works for you and what makes sense for you. There's no point in trying to do an extended fast and then ending up binging on a bunch of non-carnivore foods. So find what makes sense for you. Make sure, as Megan said, that you are very nutrient repleted before you even consider doing extended fast. Okay, guys, make sure to eat a lot of meat, take care of your bodies, because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you later. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast.